Hi, everyone, and welcome, everyone, to the first ever Cardinal Insights, the podcast. I've been writing and sharing stories through my newsletters for years, and I felt it was time to do more with Cardinal Insights. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, and welcome, everyone, to the Cardinal Insights podcast. Today, we have Clay Grubb with Grubb Properties in the studio with us. Grubb Properties was founded in 1963 by Robert Grubb. From its inception, Grubb Properties has been focused on enhancing the quality of life in its communities through the creation and management of exceptional real estate environments. Today, John Culbertson, founder of Cardinal Real Estate Partners, will talk with Clay about a variety of issues, including qualified opportunity zones. Clay and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, More importantly, our wives are really good friends. Clay and I used to run around together in Lexington, North Carolina, where he lived full-time and where my family had some real estate, and I used to go up there and spend my summers. Clay um, was a phenomenal driver. He's always been a very good driver. I remember, you know, when he was 13, he used to come and pick me up in his mother's car, and we'd go off-roading. You know, he was the, the quickest one to get it stuck into the mud. You know, we would have to call his, his, one of his two older brothers to help get us out of, out of the muck. But uh, he's here now. He's been incredibly successful with Grub Properties. And I would say Clay probably is the best example I can think of, of someone who's moved to Charlotte, has taken Charlotte by storm, and has really provided a whole lot of leadership. And when people ask me about what makes Charlotte different than any other Southern city, I kind of point out Richmond and Charleston and Columbia and even Raleigh inside the Beltline, that these are places that unless you are from those places, it's very difficult to go in and make a change or to be involved in part of the good old boy network. And Charlotte's just not that way. You look around, most people who are making decisions in this city came from somewhere else. And that's what truly makes the stew of Charlotte very fantastic. And I just think Clay is a a great example of that. So Clay, tell me, what's Grub up to right now? So currently at Grub Properties, we are focused on our Link Apartments brand. Our goal is to build the most affordable urban product that anybody's building. And that's little way affordable. It's not subsidized, but it's uh, market rate value-based housing. We've gotten it to be super efficient. We build just six floor plans over and over again. The 35 and under females, our design filter and drives a lot of lot of the design. And our goal is to build 100 of those communities over the next decade, wow. um, which would be about 28,000 units. And the reason for that is because there's a massive housing affordability crisis. And so we feel like there's never been greater demand. Um, it's hard to make the profit margins work. We use a lot of creative tools to get to land. Certainly, our opportunity fund is one I'm in currently. We have two funds right now. Our fund six, which is our traditional fund, is closing out fundraising uh, in June. With a little luck, we'll probably be a little over $100 million in that one. And then we're currently raising the 2019 Qualified Opportunity Fund, which I'll talk a little bit about how we've earmarked 10% of that for the West Side and then Great. 90% of that, we're pursuing um, opportunities around the Southeast. Let's pretend for a minute that we're here at the Cardinal Insights Studio, and it's five years from now. And you're looking back over the last five years, and you're looking around at the opportunity zone that we sit in. 
and the impact of being designated an opportunity zone has had in this region. What is going to be different in this area five years from now when we when we meet next time here? Well, the one thing that's guaranteed is it's going to change. One of the things that I would love to see Charlotte get very experimental with is their zoning. And currently, we just did a, a really wonderful Tide transit-oriented development zoning that is light years ahead of anything we've done in the past as far as reducing parking, incentivizing affordable housing, incentivizing sustainable design. It'd be great for us to have overlay opportunity zone programs put in place. So um, whatever that acronym is, you can probably think of that. And one of the big things I'd like to see is is, is get rid of uh, setbacks and side yards in a lot of these neighborhoods. I think that would be really creative to try for a couple of years. So folks who own single family houses have an opportunity to benefit from the urbanization by building a second home. My dad started this company in 1963 by buying a house with a yard big enough to build two more in. And he built those two houses. He moved into one, he sold one, and he rented one. And that was really the start of Grub Properties. Wow, a great story. So three years from now, five years from now, you and I are going to be here. We're going to be doing another podcast. We're going to be looking back and you're going to say, Culbertson, I mean, just take a look around. There is more density. There are some exciting new zoning classifications affecting this area. There's investment and investors coming in from all around the country into areas like this. And perhaps the best thing that happened to real estate development in this decade was the Opportunity Zone legislation. Is that fair to say? Like I said, there's going to be winners and losers. And so from a pure economic impact, absolutely, the city will be a major winner. The folks that get pushed out of these neighborhoods will be the losers. Right now, the West Side, um, just 27% of the residents are actual homeowners. So just 27% will directly benefit from the increase of the value of their home. The other 73% are going to have a real struggle because any new housing is going to be unaffordable mm-hmm. for a big portion of that population. And it's just purely based on what it costs to build a home. Today, mm-hmm. just the average price of a new home is such that it's over $300,000 and over 80% of Americans can't afford a $300,000 home. Do you see that as being the the biggest obstacle to what you're doing with your fund? And what, what keeps you up at night as you kind of think about having to raise this money, but then also getting that money out the door as you described it being sort of the Wild West? Well, now that I live downtown, there's a lot of things that keep me up at night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the number one issue is purely construction cost. I mean, what... We build under a brand called Link Apartments, and uh, it's a highly efficient urban design. Um, Our design lens is typically uh, the 35 and under single female. She represents a 50% increase in her male counterpart in college graduations. However, she still suffers a gender pay gap. So housing price is is a real important thing for her. Um, But that Link Apartment... Five years ago, we could build for $120,000 an apartment. Today, we struggled to do that for under $220,000 an apartment. How many years ago? 
about five years ago. Wow. So where's the opportunity in opportunity zones? What what is exciting you? I mean, why why are you doing this? There's a lot of opportunities. I mean, we're currently our first acquisition in our opportunity fund was on Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. And so that's wait a, a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Franklin Street, Chapel Hill is inside an opportunity zone. A sliver of Franklin Street is in the opportunity zone. Wow. You know, I, I'd say that West Franklin um, hasn't kept up with its Durham counterpart. Right. And downtown Chapel Hill, they've been, you know, anti-developer for so long right. that they've started paying the price. Yeah. So the, the building that we bought was the old Bank of America Plaza. The previous owner had a little over $30 million in it. We bought it for, and they just bought it three or four years ago, which you think is an opportune time. Um, we bought it for $23.5 million. I still think we we probably overpaid. But one of the exciting things is is that through the Opportunity Zone tax legislations, you, you can invest in these businesses right. that are located. And so we're working on trying to come up with a really strong innovation launch program for venture capital and entrepreneurs in that program. We're working closely with the university and the city and the county there. And it's exciting. And I was with the CEO of a small hospital chain and we built them a small hospital in Atlanta. We're talking about going up to DC and locating the next one um, potentially in an opportunity zone. And they can raise qualified opportunity capital to fund their hospital, um, which is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Where else do you see opportunity? It's everywhere. There's a, there's a lot of opportunity. Of course, where there's opportunity, there's risk. And so I see a lot more risk than I see opportunity. But, you know, it's been interesting on the West side. You know, we had a uh, convening, uh, the Federal Reserve held a convening at Johnson C. Smith uh, a week ago Saturday and, uh, and did a wonderful job. But, you know, one of the residents stood up and, you know, her example was, hey, my neighbor sold their house for $16,000 and the guy that bought it, just sold it for over 200000 And now the person that bought it from them is asking over 300000 And so that's how dramatically things have changed in, in just that one example. What we've done in our new opportunity fund is um, our plan is to take about $10 million of equity and try to invest it on the West side with a cap on how much earnings we can make to try to help solve some of the affordable housing gentrification issues that are that are being faced over there or over here. I guess we're sitting on the west side. And then the other 90% of our fund, we're pursuing deals like our one in Franklin Street. We've got one in downtown Winston. I, I talked about the one we're working on in Northern Virginia. And uh, we're actually working on opportunities in D.C. and in Texas and Tennessee right now. You taking this money and giving it back and putting the cap on your returns is this a way to differentiate you from the other funds that are out there? It seems like there are a lot of guys running around trying to raise money for opportunity zones and and the number of deals actually getting done, meaning acquisitions are being made and projects being announced have, have yet to really pick up. Is that what you're you're trying to achieve? I think more than anything, we're trying to honor the spirit of which the legislation was created. I can tell you, we created a REIT. Ours is a REIT. We've got probably 100 plus investors. I can't tell you a single one I'm invested because we did that. Right. And I can tell you a lot I'm asked, 
why did we do that? <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, our, our company was built on um, providing housing in Redline neighborhoods and really being a source of economic mobility for those that were at the time, you know, just pushed out of the system or, you know, redlined from the system. And so we still think that that's a critical part of, of our DNA. And I think having that component gives the folks at Grow Properties, a, you know, strong inspiration for coming to work and making a difference. And, you know, we're still shooting to make a 10% return and nobody can complain about that. All right. So, Clay, um, I'm going to say something nice about you. Um, <laughs> that will be a first. <laughs> no, so I know. I mean, I've known you my whole life, and I would say that you're one of the most confident people that I've ever met. Next I'm, to you. Well, I'm, I might be overly confident, but I'm also underqualified. So you, you kind of meet on both scores. Also, you're hardworking, you know, and I have referred as many people as I can in your direction. And I've got a couple of great clients that have done well with you, including my own family. And so, and, and one of the reasons why I'm comfortable referring you to people is that I've never had anyone really ever complain. And I've seen instances where the deal may have not worked out perfectly. And, you know, you made those people whole, even when by the terms of the agreement, you didn't have to. I mean, you have a very long-term perspective on it. Tell me a little bit, I mean, give me some insight and kind of self-reflection on what you think your strengths are. I'm definitely a long-term thinker. You know, I'm spending a lot of time obsessing about the 2030s right now because I worry it's going to look a lot like 1930s. However, I'm very bullish on the 2020s because it feels like a lot like the 1920s. Working on a white paper on that right now with one of our our team members and, and really comparing that, you know, Japan in the 80s and the 90s. You know, what we're experiencing right now is not too different from what was going on in Japan. And, you know, the 80s were go, go, go in Japan. I had the fortunate opportunity of going to summer school in 87 in Japan and remembered, you know, Mrs. Watanabe coming home to a buddy of mine. Uh, his parents lived there in Tokyo and they had bought the Maui Hyatt and she's like, oh, Brad, how are you? She goes, I just bought this wonderful house in Maui. He goes, oh, you go there often? She's like, oh, no, first time. And so it was crazy just to see. And um, and I actually just got back from Shanghai and Shanghai feels a lot like Tokyo. It's just go, go, go right now. Um, but I think we're in a really good time. You know, you see the stock market come down. You see people worried about interest rates. The reality is, is, you know, it feels really good. The fundamentals are good. The biggest issue is, you know, can we build housing for those that need it? Because the biggest issue is if you don't have a safe, comfortable home, it's a dramatic impact on your children. And if your children aren't raised in a healthy environment without stress, they're not going to be productive members of society. And so it's exciting to see how folks are really rallying here on the West side. You know, the conversations are constantly going on between LISC, the Knight Foundation, self-help, CBRE, Center City Partners. There's a lot of players, the Federal Reserve, and a, a lot of folks want to see a, a lot of really good things come out of this. And um, I feel like you know, we're at a point where there's a lot of good thinking going on and a lot of good conversations, and we just don't have any action yet. 
And so I'm worried about that because the private sector, the action's happening. If you own a home here, my guess is you get three calls a day and you've been getting them for right. 100 days and you just don't know what to do and you don't really know what your home's worth. And Clay, I'm going to turn that conversation back around to the question I asked you before. I'm going to make you answer it. Then we're going to go mountain biking at Whitewater Center. I think, then we're going to I drink think, a beer. Tell me, I think, I think tell me the three things. You tell you the on th- the mountain biking trail is definitely oh, my greatest twice. <laughs> okay, well, tell me another. Tell me two more. Tell me two more. Okay, let me put it this way. If Deidre was in here, even better, let's say your biggest investor, your best investor, the one that's been with you the longest. Bob. If I ask Bob <laughs> or anyone else, you know, what makes Clay great? What would they say? Well, I think Bob would say that you this know, is Bob Culbertson, by the way, my father. Okay, but he's not. <laughs> and and you do a better invitation. In, in, invitation Clay, Clay I'm looking for my money. <laughs> and uh, you know, I think he would say that that what he likes about it is that we always make sure you know we're all on the same side. We don't take current investments and sell them to investors. We have investors invest with us primarily through funds. So when we have a fund, that's all, anything we're investing at that time, everybody's investing pro, very pursue. So I um, I think in the interest of going mountain biking and drinking a beer, it sounds like there's a nice combination carry here of humility and confidence. He walks that line pretty well. I'd agree. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Well, thank you both for having me. And... We'll send a video of, uh, of John at the end of the mountain biking. Love it. Definitely <laughs> have to see fresh, that. I promise you. And Clay, I want to know what car you're driving when you were 14. Ah, it was nice. his mother's, um, oh, what was that? Grand Cherokee. It was like a, um, what was that thing? That, but that was, but we didn't, we were just four wheeling in that. Time. I know. We got totally <laughs> stuck in a bunch of mud and couldn't get it out. And yeah, I'm good. So, uh, yeah, well, I, I spent my summers on a farm, so we did a lot of so driving tractor cars. You just, that's what you did. And uh, there were no public roads for, for a pretty good ways. So. He's better off-road than on-road. But anyway, thank you, Carrie, for your time. Thank you, Clay. Thank you, Clay. All right. Thanks, guys, for having me. Thank you, everyone, for joining us and listening in. You can find archived copies of these podcasts on the Cardinal website at www.cardinal-partners.com. We would love your feedback. And if you have a topic that you would like to learn more about, or if you're interested in being a guest, please reach out at 704-953-5500 or email us at info at cardinal-partners.com.